This is Barry Zalma speaking for Claim School Incorporated's blog, Zalma on Insurance. Today we're going to explain why parties to an insurance contract alone can commit the tort of bad faith. And although attorneys may be sued, they may not be sued for the tort of bad faith because lawyers representing insurers are not parties to an insurance contract. For many years, lawyers for policyholders have sued insurers' lawyers for the tort of bad faith to avoid federal court by creating a difference of residency. I was sued dozens of times in spurious lawsuits claiming that drafting a denial letter was sufficient to sue me personally as the lawyer for an insurer for the tort of bad faith. In so doing, the suits almost invariably drove a conflict between the lawyer and his or her client, although the lawyer was not a party to the contract of insurance, and caused the lawyer to spend as much money as he had for the defense of those spurious lawsuits. The California Supreme Court attempted to resolve the issue in a case called Jerome Grunberg versus Aetna Insurance Company, a June 11, 1973 decision of the California Supreme Court. The suits continued because lawyers for policyholders learned that they simply needed to charge the lawyers with something in addition to the breach of the covenant of good faith and fair dealing, until it was eventually resolved by aggressive defenses of the spurious lawsuits. Grunberg sued his insurers and their lawyers for the tort of bad faith after his claim for fire damage to his bar, the brass rail was damaged by fire. The insurers engaged the services of P.E. Brown and & Company and their claims adjuster, Carl Bushing, who went to the brass whale to investigate the fire and inspect the premises. While he was there, he stated to an arson investigator of the Los Angeles Fire Department that plaintiff had excessive coverage under his fire insurance policies. Eventually, the premises were locked and nothing was removed until November 14, 1969, when Bushing authorized the removal of the rubble and debris. Grunberg was eventually charged in a felony complaint with the crimes of arson and defrauding an insurer. Defendant insurance companies also retained attorney Donald Ricketts, who demanded in writing that plaintiff appear on December 12, 1969, to submit to an examination under oath and produce certain documents. On November 26, 1969, plaintiff's attorney responded by letter to Ricketts, explaining that he had advised plaintiff not to make any statements concerning the fire laws while criminal charges were pending. The letter also requested that the insurers waive the requirement of an examination until the criminal charges lodged against plaintiff were concluded. Rickards refused the request 
and warned that failure to appear for the examination would void coverage under the policies. Grunberg did not appear, and Rickards on behalf of the insurers denied the claim. The charges against Grunberg were eventually dismissed by the magistrate for lack of probable cause. The Supreme Court only ruled on the sufficiency of the allegations in the complaint, which, of course, still must be sustained by proper proof. Plaintiff alleged that Brown, the insurance adjusting firm, and its employee Bushing, and Cummings, the law firm, and its employee Ricketts, were the agents and employees of the defendant insurers and of each other and were acting within the scope of that agency and employment when they committed the acts attributed to them. Grunberg contended that these non-insurer defendants breached only the duty of good faith and fair dealing. The Supreme Court concluded that the non-insurer defendants were not parties to the agreements for insurance, Therefore, they are not, as such, subject to an implied duty of good faith and fair dealing. Moreover, as agents and employees of the defendant insurers, they could not be held accountable on a theory of conspiracy. Plaintiff sufficiently pleaded a cause of action against the insurers for breach of the covenant. However, since the remaining defendants were not subject to the implied duty arising from the contractual relationship, the complaint does not state sufficient facts to constitute a cause of action against them, and that the judgment of dismissal in their favor was proper. In my opinion, the tort of bad faith is a mix of contract and tort. One cannot commit the tort unless the person or entity is a party to the contract of insurance. Therefore, the lawyers and the adjusters were dismissed since they were charged with a tort they could not commit. I personally was sued multiple times as a lawyer for an insurer who denied a claim only to defeat those lawsuits with a motion for summary judgment and a declaration that, quote, I am not now, nor have I ever been an insurer. Then, in an attempt to stop spurious lawsuits, I sued the lawyers who filed suits against me for the tort of malicious prosecution. I would recommend the same to any lawyer sued for bad faith, a tort that an insurer's lawyer cannot commit. The malicious prosecution suits were resolved, and the lawsuits against me as a lawyer for an insurance company stopped. This video was adapted from my blog, Zalma on Insurance, which is available free to anyone who clicks on the URL zalma.com slash blog, and you can subscribe to the blog, and you'll be notified of every blog posting, usually five, sometimes six a week, and you will also gain access to the more than 4,600 blog postings. You can also subscribe for the free videos on YouTube and or on rumble.com. And if you found this blog post and these videos 
Please tell your friends and colleagues about the blog and the videos and let them also subscribe. And if you wish further detailed information about insurance, insurance law, insurance fraud, and insurance claims, please consider subscribing for a very small fee to my Locals community and or my Substack publications. Thank you for your attention.